everybody. Welcome in. It's Downtown, the podcast, back after a brief New Year's break for episode 87 from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. I'm Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And since we were away last week, we decided to give you a little extra content, three guests for you this time around as we talk with comedy legend Gilbert Gottfried, music legend Harry Wayne Casey of KC and the Sunshine Band, and a young and upcoming screenwriter from uh, our hometown here of Bangor, Maine, who has uh, written the acclaimed motion picture Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and a stellar cast movie that's getting tremendous early reviews. All those conversations coming up for you on this week's Downtown the Podcast, brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Well, Gilbert Gottfried has been making people laugh for more than three decades now. Television, clubs all around the country, motion pictures, his amazing colossal podcast. Very, very interesting guy. The subject of a wonderful documentary that came out in 2017 called Simply Gilbert. We had a chance to talk with him in advance of his winter tour that brings him to the state of Maine on January 30th. I'm legendary. That means in the middle of this interview, I could drop dead. Uh, I want to know who's put together your schedule, a very shrewd, to make your way here to uh, Maine in the dead of winter. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, and anything that could kill me, uh, they put together that way. Uh, they, uh, I always wind up in uh, winter. I get filled up with, like, either, you know, Midwest, Canada, it's uh, that's always like any any place any place where the weather could have killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, that's the weather I get put into. We'll we'll try and make it uh, extra cold when you're here. I I understand that your fantasy, if I get this right, uh, quite often is that you're you're standing backstage waiting to go on, and a club owner tells you that uh, no need to go on because of a catastrophe. Yeah, I always, my fantasy, I'll be waiting backstage, they're about to introduce me, and I always think, boy, if the manager came back and said, you know, there's been a flood or the, a fire on stage, uh, we can't have, the show's been canceled, here's your check, and we've got you on the next flight out. Uh, that is my fantasy. <laughs> And, and yet you spend an awful lot of time on the road. What do you like most about being on the road? Uh, when they give me the check at the end of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I can't even hide the fact anymore. I'd love to say, oh, it's for the art. Nah, when they give me the check. <laughs> Art, forget art. I want to talk about a, a few things from your past. You've had such a remarkable career, but we were chatting before the show here. Uh, Carrie and I, both huge fans of Up All Night. Uh, that was that was such a breakthrough and such a way to showcase your talents. Uh, yeah, Up All Night was one of those. Basically, I was without the ghoul makeup, a late night ghoul, and that I was introducing bad movies. And uh, they were all like TNA movies, uh, but but with all the TNA cut out of them. 
so you could really concentrate on the plot and dialogue. <laughs> Uh, you also, of course, then were so successful in your role in Aladdin because I have to think some executive at Disney must have said, who's the perfect guy to get involved in a Disney film? Well, Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, well, my my career has always walked a tightrope in between early morning children's programming and hardcore porn. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a balance not many people can achieve. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's always been good. They said, "Oh, that guy uh, who tells the aristocrats, uh, we'll get him uh, to be in Disney." <laughs> We're talking with Gilbert Gottfried here on Downtown. We're huge fans of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I, I love everything about it. We've had a lot of. Uh, similar guests on the show like uh, uh, Stephen Bishop, uh, Ann Serling, uh, Jeff Abraham, and a guy who's become a great friend of our show. I was so impressed with him hearing John Davidson on your podcast because he was not the guy I imagined him to be. Uh, totally a surprise to me, too. And, uh, you know, a happy surprise. And we we had been after him for the longest time, and he kept saying no, because I think he thought we were going to bring him on the show and uh, just make fun of him or stuff. And and he turned out to be an amazing guest, He uh, and he thanked us for it. He, like, uh, sent us notes saying that he's so glad he did it. He was... Uh, so excited about the new interest in his career now. But it's it's like his father was a preacher, but he himself is an atheist. It, it was a fascinating interview. Yeah, and he told us that uh, then you went to see him in person when he performed live in New York City. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, a lot of fun. I, I went there with uh, Paul Schaefer. Uh, we both watched him. And, oh, with Paul Schaefer and uh, with Barbara Felden, a, uh, another former guest <laughs> for my podcast, who is Agent 99 on Get Smart. We all saw him at that show. And, and you've said, and I think it's it's accurate, your podcast, it's, it's like an episode of The Love Boat. Uh, yeah, it's like the way they used to have the love boat and or uh, Fantasy Island, and there'd be these people that popped up that you swore were dead, and then you see them there, and they're older, and yet they're just as good as they ever were. You mentioned that uh, you and your producers had uh, tried to get Davidson on for a while before you, he finally agreed. Who's who's the person that you haven't been able to get on that you are still working on? That you know that the one that you really want to get that hasn't come on yet. Oh, there, there's a couple. I always feel scared to mention them because I feel like that'll be the total jinx. Mm. <laughs> and. Of, of course, there's been other people, because of the age group we're dealing in, where we'll ask them to do the show, they agree, and then they die two days later. <laughs> I, I was originally going to call the podcast the Before It's Too Late show. <laughs> well, we thought we were the leaders in uh, whatever you call them, nanogenarians, because we've had... Uh... 
uh, people like Paul Dooley and Carl Reiner, uh, William Daniels on the show, all in their 90s. But, man, they're all great, and they all still tell fantastic stories. Yeah, and, and I, I've had those, too, also, uh, Carl Reiner and Paul Dooley. We never got William Daniels, but we uh, we got, uh, oh, Dick Van Dyke was yes. on the show. and that was great. Yeah, and you sang with him. How wonderful was that? Yeah, super califragilistic and put on a happy face. <laughs> and, and at one point, he started to advise me. He goes, okay, when you get to this part, it's a T, and you lower, and then he said, ah, ah, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, we love the documentary that came out about you a couple of years ago. Was that was it hard for you to let people behind the curtain a little bit into that aspect of your life? Uh, that was horrible. <laughs> uh, my my, you know this guy, this guy. Um, uh, 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 oh gee, I should remember his name now. That would be good. Uh, the uh, the filmmaker Neil Berkeley. Yes. Uh, Neil Berkeley came up to me, and uh, he, he said, uh, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I've always dreamt of doing a Gilbert Gottfried documentary. And I said, well, you should set your dreams a lot higher than that. <laughs> and he started following me around with a camera, and uh, I I didn't interfere with it. I didn't say no. I, uh, but I hated him following me with the camera, and I hated watching the film. But uh, like all the reviews were great, and uh, it is. It's like, and it's we talk about it in the film. I always think of that scene in Wizard of Oz where it's like, uh, ignore that man behind the curtain. Because <laughs> I always feel like uh, that's, that's it. If you let someone behind the curtain, then it ruins everything. And you talked about how your life is, to you even now, it's a bit surreal. And I kept in watching, I kept thinking of the old talking head song, this is not my beautiful house, this is not my beautiful wife. <laughs> Exactly. And I say there, too, it's like, it's like, you know, those Twilight Zone episodes that were a million with that same premise where someone wakes up and goes, uh, what is this house? And what am I doing here? Why, you're the president, sir. And it's 1843, you know. <laughs> now, I... And, and so that's, yeah... I, uh, I, my son is turning six today, and I'm, I'm 61 years old. I had my son, my first, at 55. You came to parenthood late in life as well. Are you better at it now than you would have been back in your 20s or 30s or even 40s? Uh, I think I'm equally bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I find the weirdest thing about being a parent is that I can't reprimand my kids if they say a dirty word. Because <laughs> there's no way I can look at them with a straight face and say, no, you shouldn't say that. But when the time comes that they're old enough and you can teach them how to string some words together like nobody else around, man, what a great role model you'll be. 
Uh, yeah, they can take over the family business. <laughs> I'll be not and disgusting. <laughs> well, Gilbert, it's it's wonderful to talk with you. We are a big fan of your career for so long. We wish you well on your trip to Rumford. Uh, when you come up here to Maine, I hope the hotel has uh, lots of good... What are you going to do when they start getting oh, rid of these uh, little... That, that's, that's horrible. They've been getting rid of the handout little soaps and right. shampoos. Why would they do I that? I hate that. Yes. Oh, oh, before I forget, uh, just jumping off on another plug. Please do. Uh, I, I'm also on Cameo.com, where I send out uh, video messages. Uh, you could get your own personalized video message from me on Cameo.com. Absolutely. And there's a link to that on your website as well if people would like more information. Thank you so much for joining us, and we wish you well, and uh, hope to uh, hope to see you back here on the show again with us down the road. Oh, thank you. Gilbert Gottfried here on Downtown, the podcast. And again, uh, if you're in Maine, January 30th in Rumford at 49 Franklin Reception Hall and the Mystic Theater. And you can get your tickets, more information online as well. Just go to Gilbert's website for more and get him to do one of those personalized cameo greetings for you. It'd be pretty awesome stuff. When we come back on the podcast, I'm going to shake your booty with Casey himself, Harry Wayne Casey, after this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We're back on Downtown, the podcast. In the mid-1970s, our next guest changed the face of music with his unique sound, the Sunshine Sound, coming out of Miami. KC and the Sunshine Band would go on to sell over 100 million records. And Harry Wayne Casey, KC himself, still out there performing, making music, and getting ready next month to host the ultimate disco cruise. We had a chance to talk with Harry Wayne Casey about his career and that upcoming cruise. It's been a few years since we've talked to you, but great to have you back. Thank you very much. How you been? Been doing great, and uh, obviously you have as well. I, I was thinking back on it this morning, and the Sunshine Sound has been going now for more than four decades. It's got to feel pretty good to think about how much happiness you've brought to people over the last 40-plus years. I know. It's getting close to being 50 years soon. So, uh, you know, that's what I created the music for, and I'm happy that, you know, I'm, I'm, that I'm still alive to be able to still, still witness it and to still do what I love doing, and that's performing. Well, and you created such an original sound, and, and really it was amalgam of a, a lot of different types of music, uh, some some Latin music, pop and reggae, but it really became its own unique sound. Yes, it did. Uh, and it, it influenced many, 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 many other artists. I mean, one of the songs I wrote, Rock Your Baby, I was reading somewhere where um, Ab, it influenced Abba to write a song called Dancing Queen, and it, the same song also influenced uh, John Lennon to write a song called Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And that's just two of the countless number of songs that I know my music has influenced. Well, yeah, you mentioned Rock Your Baby, which became an enormous hit uh, for George McRae. You were writing songs. You were right. you were working there uh, in Miami. Can you talk a little and, bit about... And, oh, go ahead. 
and he'll be on this cruise, and, and he's on this cruise we're doing in February. So That's fantastic. Hey, can you talk a little bit about the role Henry Stone played in your career? Well, Henry Stone was the owner of the record company. He was the, he called all the shots and, uh, you know, made sure everything was in motion, made sure that stores had the, the records in stock and that the radios, you know, the radios uh, that was being played on the radio and, and all that sort of stuff. And he took care of all that part of the, uh, you know, he let me do what I do and I let him do what he did. And he was the main guy when it came to, uh, you know, putting everything together and, and making it all work. And you grew up in a musical family, is that right? Yes, I did. Well, I look at the accolades through the years, over 100 million records sold, Grammys, Golden Platinum Records, number ones, uh, the uh, Neris Governor's Award, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But but you never went Hollywood. You stayed pretty close to home. Why is that? I mean, I, I, I was out there off and on, you know, for a few years. And I mean, this is where my family was. I mean, I grew up at a very, my mother had six sisters. They all lived here in Miami. So I had a, a you know, a lot of family members here, and my mother and father were here, and I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to, to be here near my family. I wanted to be near where I grew up and things that I were familiar with. Uh, I always felt that L.A. was a little bit too fake for me, so uh, I didn't quite feel like I fit in or wanted to fit in. Has that kept you grounded and also kept you close to the fans? It kept me close to a lot of things, yes. Well, we're talking with Harry Wayne Casey, Casey and the Sunshine Band. I want to talk about this remarkable event coming up here in 2020, Star Vista Live, the 2020 Ultimate Disco Cruise. And what an incredible lineup is put together for this thing. I mean, it is. It's pretty cool. I mean, this is the third one that we've done, and we're going to be doing a fourth one next year. So, I mean, it's a great, great thing. You buy your ticket, you get your, 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 your room, your food. Uh, each night you get, you know, go to a, a different show, and throughout the day there's shows and there's uh, uh, there's contests and there's all sorts of things. Plus you go to the Bahamas and Key West, and um, and and you, you start off in Miami where I live, which is a great place. You can come a few days before, and stay a few days after, and it's a great time to be here during February. Um, and I mean, where can you go? You don't have to worry about driving. Uh, uh, you just walk out of your cabin each day and have the time of your life for an, four days. An unbelievable list of performers, and even even Denny Terrio there, the man who taught Travolta to dance. Yeah, absolutely. I got to visit, and uh, I'm a good friend with Olivia and John, and her and John Travolta were just here a few nights ago, and I went out to say hello. I, I never got to meet him until recently, and, and when, when we met, he says, you and I have a... a, a a very long history together. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They were there for that uh, that Greece live event. Uh, one of the friends of our show, Barry Pearl, one of the one of the uh, T Birds, was there for it. It looked like an amazing time. Oh, it was. It was so much fun. I mean, I've never seen the movie uh, because I was working so much during that time. But I mean, you know, they handed out pom poms. They, they did all these things. It was just. It was just. It was a great evening, and I got to see my good friends. And uh, you know, aside from that, I mean. It's the kind of excitement that you'll experience on the disco cruise, too. It's, it's that kind of thing, you know, where you just go and you let your hair down for four days and just have the time of your life like people did that night at the Grease show. 
The 2020 Ultimate Disco Cruise coming up in February. Uh, Casey, it's great to have you still out there performing and playing your music that brings smiles to so many faces. And well, I understand uh, it was it was another legend, James Brown, that encouraged you to keep on playing. It was. I mean, you know, I, I, I met uh, Mr. Brown, as we called him, uh, you know, back in the late 60s. And uh, uh, I ran into him at some point. I did something, and he was there, and he says, you better keep doing this, and I and I and I, I got to thinking about that a lot. And uh, you know, he's part responsible for the reason that I'm still out here. Well, we're glad you are, and glad you were able to make time for us this morning. Uh, thanks again for visiting with us. Happy holidays to you and your family, and have a great time on the 2020 Ultimate Disco Cruise. Thank you, Stan. There, we'll see you all there. That's Harry Wayne Casey of KC and the Sunshine Band. Here on Downtown, the podcast. And as we mentioned earlier, a little extra content for you this week after a rare vacation for the program. We had a chance to talk with a Bangor, Maine native who's doing quite well in Hollywood these days as a screenwriter. His name is Andrew Lanham, and he is the co-screenwriter of the film Just Mercy, starring Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan. And based on true story of a man who was falsely imprisoned for murder. It's a fascinating film that's getting great reviews, and we talked with Andrew Lanham about that and his career. Andrew, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, let's share a little of the background, if you can. You uh, you grew up in Bangor in a in a theatrical family, to say the least. But uh, you were exposed to the arts pretty early. How did that impact you as as a little guy growing up in this area? I mean, my, my parents, uh, we grew up in the church choir at St. John's Episcopal, and then my mom directed a lot of musicals after uh, performing in them with Penobscot Theater Company as I was young um, throughout my high school and middle school, uh, along with my brothers and the youth group in our church. Um, and then my dad, uh, Sam Lanham, would do all the music for them. So we just kind of... Uh, Growing up in that environment sort of instilled a love in all things, not just theatrical, but um, narrative, I guess I would say, right from a really early age. Um, and I was also always kind of just obsessed with film and movies, and my parents really supported that obsession in a, in a, <laughs> in a way that I'm very grateful for now. <laughs> and you, uh, you followed your passions all the way to Austin and the University of Texas and, and that tremendous program they have. Yeah, the the program, the MFA in Texas was um, amazing for me, and I ended up winning a thing called the Nichols Fellowship um, in screenwriting, which is like the Academy, the Oscars uh, screenwriting competition. My second year there, so that got me um, flown out to LA for the first time, where I ended up with my agent and my manager, and I also met. Um, a young writer-director named Dustin Daniel Cretton, who uh, had won at the same time as me for a script of his called Short Term 12. And he ended up just becoming a dear friend. I lived on his couch um, when I moved to L.A. And then a few years later, I started doing um, some projects with him, which eventually led to Just Mercy. And uh, before that, it, it led to a film entitled The Glass Castle, uh, that also has some familiar faces for people who are planning on seeing Just Mercy. Woody Harrelson and Brie Larson are part of that as well. Yeah, and Brie, um, Brie's a close friend of Destin's ever since they shot Short Term 12 together. Um, so she's kind of one of those constant collaborators uh, that a lot of the um, 
a lot of writer directors uh, are lucky enough to find. So, uh, what drew you and Destin to this project? Uh, Just mercy. The the first producer on was a man named Gil Netter, and he sent Destin the book. Um, and we he we had all worked together on the Glass Castle, so we all kind of knew we had a good working relationship. Um, Gil was doing Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan and then Brian Stevenson, who's the um, amazing man who is at the center of the story and also wrote the book that it's based on. So Destin um, called me and told me he had just finished this book, and it was so incredibly moving and transformative uh, just reading it, and um, asked me what I thought. It's really it's kind of interesting because with most jobs, um, the question is kind of how can I bring my voice to this to this specific project? Um, obviously, Just Mercy is about um, our justice system and uh, the the way that it uh, kind of affects um, African Americans predominantly, but also people um, of of all races and 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 gender and ages, um, especially the people who have have less than those who are blessed to have so much more. Um, it's definitely not my experience, but I also felt like Destin's um, kind of the message that is in all of his films matched the message of Brian Stevenson's book. And we knew that Brian himself was going to be incredibly hands-on with the entire adaptation process. So for me, it was uh, less a question of how could I bring my voice to the project and more a question of them. Um, can I be a, a, a good steward in helping to translate Brian's voice to the screen? And for anybody who may not be familiar, can you give us just a, a brief backstory, the plot summary of uh, what happened with uh, Brian Stevenson and Walter McMillan? Yeah, Brian Stevenson runs the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama, which is right on the forefront of justice reform and um, trying to uh, get rid of the death penalty in our country. It's a really amazing organization that I would urge anybody um, who's interested in in the subject or the movie to kind of seek out. Um, he also has a number of TED talks, and listening to Brian listening to Brian speak is a very uh, it's a very uh, transformative experience. He talks about a lot of things that hope that need to change in our country, things that are really hard to. Uh, to change in our country, but he talks about them in a way that makes you feel as if hope is a requirement. Um, he bases his message in uh, grace and love, even in the face of kind of insurmountable odds. So uh, the book that he wrote, Just Mercy, half of it is uh, it kind of covers a wide array of different cases he's had across his life and career, and then every alternating chapter tells specifically the story of Walter McMillan, who is one of, or the first man he represented on death row in Alabama, who was um, clearly innocent in his case. And the, the specifics of the case are um, kind of too mind-boggling to really get in and into in a, in a short interview. And, that, and, and finding out those specifics is kind of what the book and what the film are about. Um, but it was... Uh, a very cut and dry case in terms of this man was completely and totally innocent. And so it's a, it's a legal procedural drama that's about um, the, the justice system in our country and this one man's story. But uh, unlike most stories like this that are kind of did, did he do it? 
you know he didn't do it, and it's a question of how will this one man um, get a group of people to listen. We're talking with Andrew Lanham here on Downtown, and uh, my goodness, you look at an all-star cast for this film. What's that experience like of seeing seeing the words that you wrote uh, performed on screen by the likes of uh, Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan, Tim Blake, Nelson, just everybody who's so good? Yeah, I mean, the cast is amazing, and I think um, one of Destin's gifts as a, as a director is getting these um, really subtle, naturalistic performances out of actors that um, accumulatively create, uh, like, this overwhelming kind of powerful feeling. Um, watching, watching Michael B. kind of uh, hold back, I think, is this really, uh, it's like this almost thrilling experience, and uh, I, I personally think Jamie Foxx gives his best performance since Ray, and he's, uh, he's absolutely amazing in it. So there's there's, there's kind of nothing better as a writer to see someone like Jamie kind of bring, bring those words to life. It's also kind of unique because so much of the dialogue in the book is taken from Brian's words or Brian's kind of notes and guidance in the adaptation process. We also really poured over the actual court transcripts. So a lot of the things that people say in the trial scenes are, are literally um, – are literally the, the actual things that people were saying during the trial. Um, so it's a re- really fascinating to kind of see, see those things be brought to life and mixed in with the stuff that Dustin and I created and, and added in to help make it more cinematic. Well, uh, the early buzz is terrific. A reviewer is loving it. And uh, one in particular who doesn't make his living as a movie reviewer, but uh, pretty cool to find yourself on a top 10 end of the year list from former President Barack Obama. Yeah, that's um, uh, an amazing honor, and um, kind of it's the the our hope was that the film would play to all audiences of all ages and races and male and female across the entire country, and I feel like the reception so far has really um, spoken to that. I think Brian's Brian's message teaches you a lot of uh, about a lot of things that are essential truths in our country that you might not be aware of, but he never talks down to you or makes you feel bad about how much you do or don't know about these things. He, he, uh, it's informative and teaching in a way that um, I think allows closed minds to become opened. And the, the reception that we've had across uh, kind of all spectrum of, of audience, uh, including our former president is, um, is really kind of beautiful and amazing to see. Just Mercy comes to Railroad Square in Waterville on Friday, January 10th, and goes into wider release uh, the week after that. But, uh, Andrew, let's talk about some other projects you're involved with. What can you tell us about a film you've been working on for a while with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and Ethan Hawke? I read a Western uh, called The Kid that came out in February of, I guess it's last year now, 2019, that um, I believe you, I don't know if you can see it on streaming services or rent it on iTunes. Um, it was an early script that I wrote off of an idea that Vincent had. Um, one of my favorite, my kind of career goal was to be able to work with really passionate uh, directors. 
some of whom, like uh, my friend Destin, are also writers, and so I am very hands-on in the writing process where we do it together. Um, sometimes it's somebody like Vincent, who's primarily an actor, but had always had this kind of germ of an idea about Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid that he wanted to turn into a movie. And then I um, developed that idea with him before kind of going off to write the screenplay. Um, his, his kind of passion for the project kept it alive over a number of years. And then they shot it um, towards the end of like a year and a half ago. And that came out in, in February. So people can actually already watch that one now. And uh, what have you got for upcoming projects that we should keep our eyes open for? At least ones you can talk about. Yeah, uh, I just adapted a book for Paramount called The Strange Fascinations of Noah Hypnotic, which is kind of, um, it's like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, written by Steven Spielberg, wow. uh, or directed <laughs> by Spielberg. Uh, so it's a bit of a, uh, it's based on a YA book that I really love, and I was um, lucky enough to kind of become friends with the writer after I adapted uh, the book itself. And so I think everyone, everyone involved is really excited about the prospects of that one it's kind of a uh from when you first hear about a project to when a movie gets made if it's lucky enough to ever get made it's a i'd say a three to five year process so we're kind of in the the end of the first third of of the journey of that well we're very excited uh, for the positive response to just mercy can't wait to see it when it comes to theaters around here and, and so great to talk with you andrew we wish you uh, much good luck and continued success in your screenwriting career, and, and thanks so much for making some time for us here in the old hometown. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. That's screenwriter Andrew Lanham talking with us about his film, Just Mercy, as we wrap up this week's edition, number 87 of Downtown the Podcast. Thanks to Andrew, Casey of the Sunshine Band, and the great Gilbert Gottfried as well. We hope you'll join us next time for Downtown the Podcast, brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.